Hello, Andy. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm good, thank you. It's uh, it's a great honor to speak with you. And uh, we met a few months ago, but I'm seeing your work. I've been reading your a lot of your articles. Uh, Staying strong first, uh, breaking muscle as well. Yeah. And I've seen all the videos of actually breaking one record after the other. Um, yeah. And we met at the Brits, I think, uh, a few months ago. Yeah, we did. And looking forward to seeing you in the in a few weeks as well. Yeah, that's it. Next week on Saturday. Yeah, I cannot wait for that. And also, I would love you to tell me what's your, uh, what you think is going to be the first three. <laughs> That's going to be, uh, you know, I think this year's British is going to be a, a bit of a mix-up. I think um, Pyro Dyer is going to be uh, up there. Um, I mean, Tom Stoltman, you can never write him out. Nope. Adam Bishop, Adam Bishop's always in the mix, always consistent. Um, this year, we've got Andy Black, Mark Steele's coming in. We just and the events this year are a little bit different out there. There's not a lot of static. It's uh, more endurance with a shield carry coming back. The axle for reps, the bag, the bag toss. We haven't so, seen that for a while. Yeah, mis- mistakes can be made quite easily on these events. Yeah, and we've seen that in the past as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it'll be really interesting. I cannot wait. <clears throat> so who's Andy Bolton besides the part of the first guy that actually did a thousand pound deadlift? You've broken so many other records, but. Who's Andy Bolton? Yeah, well, Andy Bolton is known as the powerlifter. Um, but he started off in uh, track and field, age 11. Wow. Um, 100 metres, 200 metres sprinting champion. Got invited to race at Crystal Palace. Uh, lead City champion. Couldn't afford to go to Crystal Palace because back then we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, all the running spikes and the equipment. So we didn't have a sponsorship. I mean, I was 11, 11 to 13 years old, you know. Mum and dad couldn't afford to send me down there. So then I moved into rugby league, age 13. Played rugby league from 13 to 17, or just before my 18th birthday. Um, did well in that. I was fast. I was strong. Um, we're going to get signed for Leeds or Featherstone. We're looking at me. Um, to be honest, I found the training, training great, but I want gelling with a team with a team mentality because I were always the first one to train in, the last one off the pitch, put all the work in and, and guys were just, you know, they were missing sessions and then coming and playing on a weekend. And I just found it, you know, not, not everybody seemed to be working as hard as me, to be honest. So it's it, hard, hard to be a part of that team because it's not actually a team, if that makes sense. Yeah, it is. It's, it's tough. All it is, it's at that age as well. It's just, you've just got 11, 13 individuals, you know, all want to do their own thing, really. Um, but, you know, in any team, any, any pro sports now, you, you get the, the players who will put the work in and the players who don't. Same with anything. But, you know, if, it's just frustrating when you, you're that, you've got that sort of mindset. You want to be the best and you're hiring other people to be the best. Genetics and talent are important, but always consistency and hard work, you know. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. So from that, I asked my mum and dad, can I join the gym? Um, back then, you wasn't allowed to join the gym till 18 years old. Um, it wasn't like today. Uh, you just walk. Then the gyms weren't like pure gyms. They are now. It was heavy, <laughs> heavy, dirty, messy. I'm a guy. Big, big, older men, you know what I mean? They were, they were hardcore. As a young kid walking in there were quite intimidating. So my dad took me down at 18 years old to a gym in Leeds and it, it just boomed from there, to be honest. I mean, 
I didn't know much about deadlifts or powerlifting. Just saw people squatting, tried squatting. I was strong straight away. Um, but my, my first love was going to be bodybuilding because I didn't know anything about powerlifting. Oh, wow. 18 years old. It was all bodybuilding, so I wanted to be a bodybuilder. Um, I think I squatted 200 kilos my first time squatting. Um, and I pulled a, a guy called Tony, Tony Henry, got me, uh, he did some power cleans and some deadlifts, and he asked me to join him. And I joined him and I pulled 260, first time I trained. Now, people talk about this to this day, how strong I was. But if you remember, I was a sprinter from 11 years old. I played rugby league for six, seven years. Now, in rugby league training, even though we didn't do any weight training, we were putting lads on our backs and running up hills, hill sprints, carrying lads, picking them up, running up hills. So many sprints and, and body weight stuff. So I was primed for the gym anyway. You know, it wasn't like I'd just got off the couch and gone training and being that strong. That's what people don't realise. Um, so strong, started bodybuilding. Um, competing in my first bodybuilding show, age 20. But while I was dieting, a group of powerlifters started training in our gym. Um, and we got chatting and I saw me train, noticed how strong I was. Um, and then he said, you know, when you finish your diet, come and join us. So I did. I mean, as soon as the, the diet were over on that stage, I loved the bodybuilding being on the stage, I must admit. It was the biggest buzz. But the diet, losing yeah. four or five stone in 12 weeks, I just couldn't see myself doing this. It's hardcore. Um, yeah, it was very. Um, and also, you know, when you look back at the pictures, you realise, genetically, I'm not. I wasn't never going to be a Mr. Olympia. Big waist, didn't have peaked arms, big back, strong legs, but lean. They weren't very big. I, I saw some of the pictures about thick torso, really yeah. thick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. um, yeah, I mean, from the, from the side on, my biggest, I was very, yeah, I was very thick that way. Um, but it, it wasn't great for bodybuilding. So we got into powerlifting and it just boomed from there. That's when Andy Bottom, the powerlifter, Come of age, to be honest, age 20 years old. First competition, squatted 270, benched 155 and deadlifted 335 for a Yorkshire record. Wow. And then it just went up from there. You know, I just kept on competing and competing. Um, but then I started powerlifting age 20. I won world championships in 2001, no, 91, 92, 93. Three times world champion, WPC. Um, and then I got invited to Strongman. I got a call from David Webster and Doug Edmonds, and I come to Strongman. So then I did uh, Strongman for five, six years, to 99. Um, competing against Magnus Ver, Magnuson, Manfred Herbel, Gary Taylor, all the, all the best in the world back then. And it held me on, you know, I was always top, top eight. Um, so I did well. I mean, see, I had no events to train on, you know, really, um, until a couple of years, I managed to get down to Sheffield to train with Jamie Reeves. For a couple of years. So Jamie showed me a lot of stuff at Strongman. Another legend. Um, yeah, definitely. It was only local to me. with a 20-minute drive away, you see. Oh, so wow. It, it, it was good, yeah. Um, so that was up until 99. Docklands. Um, me and Bill Pittock were first and second. Going to go to the TV stages the next year. That's where the first time Britain's Strongest Man were going to go back on TV. All on Towers. Um, me and Bill were way ahead of Glenn Ross. I think Glenn Ross was 20 points behind us. Went to the last event, so it was me and Bill all the way through. I managed to snap my bicep on the last event. So that put me out of strongman. 
and then I met a guy called Brian Batcheldor. Yeah. Back then, who brought Kazmaier over way back. John, he knew John Paul, Gary, you know, he worked with all these top guys. Brian and is he a... to, Yeah, he, he, he was. And me and Brian had become great friends. You know, I mean, we're still friends to this day. He helped me out a lot, did Brian, over the years, a lot. And he got me back into powerlifting. He asked me to come back to powerlifting. He'd look after me, help me with things. Um, and he, then he took me from, you know, from 2000, 2001, right up to next seven, eight, nine years were world-breaking, you know, record after record after record. And that's how it started. Do you see differences in, because, you know, you, you, you talked about, you know, you, you did sprints, you did a lot of volume, you did all that. That brought you actually to be like a really strong lad when you first like doing yep. 200 kilos. Um, yep. Why have you seen all these years, like all those decades on training? Because everybody's trying to find that kind of uh, magic way of training. Yeah, I've seen some of your articles about you know talking about Bulgarian volume. If you do it, you're not going to have a life. Um, you don't. And you don't. What What's like the quintessence of training? Let's say for um, optimizing strength. And what's your take on all these years? Yeah. Well. Well, for me, it's whatever plan you do, you've got to be, be able to sustain that. For you no know, to get strong, I mean, Bulgaria. If you if you were to train five days a week, and I could say, I mean, I, I talk about this when I do seminars and stuff. You know, if if you train five, if I could tell you you're going to train five days a week, if you can put 100% effort into all them workouts, you're going to get stronger. You are going to get stronger. But how many people in the world, honestly, can walk into a gym and train 100% committed five days a week with the life going on, the home life, family life, work? It's impossible. So you might do it for two or three weeks, a few months, then you might miss a session, then you're catching up with that session. And and I figured out early, uh, I had a life outside of powerlifting. Yeah. I might have been thinking about it all the time and reading about it when I wasn't training, but I only spent three days in the gym. So so my my first thing was only do something I can sustain. Um, And the next thing is not, to tear my body up. I don't want to tear, I mean, I, I did tear my body up in the early years, but luckily not to the point where I got injured. Um, and I quickly learned off the back of that. Um, and I figured out with the rugby grab bound, the speed, the strength, um, to belong in this game, you've got to be patient for one. Strength not, is not going to come fast. Um, you've got to not do loads of things at once. Pick a, a small few and then work on them. If they get stronger, if I were getting stronger comp to comp, I'd keep everything the same. If anything... If, if it works, keep it. Yeah, yeah. And, and people say, oh, yeah, I'm going to have this on. And I get into that mentality now of being older. Some things work. I think, what I'm going to do? I'm going to come back and change that. I think, no, hang on a minute. No, it's worked. Why would you change something? And then what happens then? People change and they go so far out of where, what's made them strong in the first place. You know, they don't know what they're doing. So I kept to the same thing. If it were working, I kept it. If it wasn't working, I'd find out, I'd talk to people, people that I trusted, and we'd figure a way out. You know, we'd figure something out. And I'd change a small part of that. And then we'd work with that. If that didn't work, give it a few months. Because you don't just give it a week or two. Give it a few months. If it doesn't work, change it again. But rather than changing everything, just change small parts. Um, And then over the years, I figured out speed, pulling, I mean, at my strongest, I could pull 600 pounds deadlifts and I could have high pulled it to here. 
But off the back of that, I went to competitions and pulled 420 kilos. So then I, you know what I mean? Obviously, this happened over time. I, I, keep, I keep what you said about patience. And I, I, yeah. you need to be patient you want to be strong. If yeah. you can dive into that. Um, if you take it biologically, yes, because you need so many adaptations for your ligaments, your tendons, your muscles actually to yeah. take all that. Yeah. But you said now yeah. again, speed. So I come to you and I say, look, Andy, I want to be um, strong as I can get. I want to optimize that part of my body. How would I do that? Well, I'd do a combination of heavy work. When I say heavy work, up from 70 to 85%, maybe touching on 90%. I'd always, so I work up, Small amount of heavy work. When I say heavy is relative, it's not always heavy. Doesn't mean max, you know, within a certain range. Then it's always backed up with a load and load of volume of speed. But not only if you get somebody to pull a hundred kilo deadlift. When I say speed, it sounds so easy. Let's pull that deadlift. I want you to pull that deadlift fast. Now I can get somebody to pull a two hundred kilo deadlift. They're pulling it perfect, nice and steady. They're pulling it perfect. Now I say apply speed. I want you to pull it as fast as you can. All yeah. of a sudden. The form goes to crap. They've gone. Now, to pull, somebody quoted me years ago, speed is only speed when done in perfect form. And everything's working together at the right time. So for me, when I'm training people, it's, it's a mixture of heavy and speed. But speed starts off not really speed, and it builds into faster, faster as the form gets better. Um, and then all that is backed up with things that, help your weaknesses so by this time we figured out where you're weak is it hamstring is it glue locking out from the floor and then we, we, we build that into that plan you know the weaknesses so we're not doing fancy loads of fancy people say oh you're doing uh, side raises are you doing arm no why not I don't need them they don't help me for what my goals are and I did very, li very limited amount of exercises mate three or four but then three or four, I could tell everybody what they were doing and why we're doing it. Now, today, people don't do that. They just fluff it up with loads of little things. Oh, so that looks really good. My programs on paper don't look anything special. But you come and have a session with me. I guarantee you won't get through the session when you first start. You need a level of conditioning. You know, you've just it just moves at a pace. Everything's perfect. That every 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 deadlift's done the same way. Every squat's done the same way. Tightness, bracing, and everything you do, you know, it becomes a hard hard session. Um, so for me, building strength, mixture of speed, um, heavyweight, working on weaknesses, and just building slow. There's nothing with building up a little bit, coming back down, going up a bit further, coming back down. But it's hard today because everybody wants to be there now. You know, they want to be there next week. And we've got guys in our gym who come into the gym and, and they're, they're injured a little bit, you know, and they're seeing all lads doing a certain level. So they'll try to jump onto the back of them. But instead of doing their own plan, and then eventually they'll get there. That's incredible what you're saying because um, I, I, I read, uh, I don't remember, uh, I forget the quote, but I said, we've, we started not seeing with our eyes and not actually analyzing with our brains. And we... Yep take everything in a way of using gadgets or whatever to do that for us. Yep. And yep. it's actually what you just said. My eyes are there to observe. My brain is there to analyze and see what I'm going to tweak. And yes, it's not sexy. You know what I mean? It's a boring thing yeah, you're right. done perfectly yeah. Yeah. over and over and over yep. again. 
because I see a lot of people in my practice coming in. It's like, oh, I did that deadlift. I wanted, uh, and I was like, how many times do you deadlift per week? Oh, three times. I was like, how many times do you train per week? Six times. And you said that you did all that with three times per week. Yeah, yeah. The less all is the more. Yeah, I mean, if I were, I coach quite a lot of people online, and, and nobody, there's not one of my clients who's training more than four days a week for strength. I think four days, three or four days is optimum. But then I've got people who train two days a week because it doesn't fit their lifestyle to train mm. three, four days a week. They've got busy jobs. So I can, I can, you can cut out the stuff they don't need and put in the basics. You just, it's the basics. I mean, but you know, you just said it, basics are boring for most people. But the, what they're not seeing is when I'm deadlifting, if I'm doing a light session, I can be putting more speed into it, more effort. When I leave that gym, I'm exhausted. It's not just a light session where it's, oh, he's only pulling 250 a day, 220. Yeah, but everything's drilled, t- lat tightness, driving the legs, even squatting, knees out, driving, you know, the body position. It's just drilling the technique again. and It's more than just a light session for me. It, it's a session to learn, to learn different things, you know. As you, and as we get older and as strengths change, weaknesses change, you're always adapting, always changing things all the time. And that's the way doing my own training. It's so important because you've been saying about, you know, posture and movement works. And you see a lot of people out there saying, oh, you know, if you're flexing your back or if you're doing this, it doesn't matter. And come on, you can work through pain and all that. And it's really important coming from you saying all that because, first of all, you've done, you've done it and you coach people do it and yeah. with much success. Um, <coughs> what's your position on, on um, the rest days? And, you know, you, you, three days you're actually, you said you're training. What's the lifestyle on recovery? Right. Well, what it used to be then, what I did back then when I'm the strongest, I did three days. Monday, Monday were a pressing day, all my pressing. Uh, Wednesday was squat and deadlift together because that's the way we competed in powerlifting. We did squat, bench, stand, deadlift. So I like, I like to get used to the volume on a Wednesday. Uh, a Thursday, straight after, the day after, we did a leg assistance. So everything, hamstring, glute, leg press, Everything that helps the squat and deadlifts we've done on a Thursday the day after, upper back, grip work. Um, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesday were rest days from the gym. But on the Thursday, we also had a cardio session, a 20-minute hill, quite a fast pace, all-out pace. Saturday, we do that again, um, cardio session, just walking on a hill, but, but walking fast. Virtually to a point of a run, you know, it's not just like a stroll. You're working your heart rate. Um, and then I'd be getting three, three, two or three massages a week. Um, but apart from that, I didn't, honestly, back then at my biggest, I was so big and I was in a mindset where rest, rest, rest. I used to go to bed on a night. I'd sleep 10 hours. Um, I'd wake up. Um, I'd sleep in an afternoon from one till three every day. Um, I train at five, 5.30, get home from there eat, stay up a little bit, eat again, go to bed and repeat. And that's all it was. So a couple of cardio days. But also back then I was working full-time, don't forget. I wasn't I wasn't a full-time athlete. Um, when I was pulling a 1,000 pounds up to them numbers, I was driving a big seven and a half ton wagon, delivering power tools all over West Yorkshire. So I was lifting jacks and things onto the back of a wagon, driving diggers on a wagon, driving it off. I was working 40 hours a week. Um, but that, that was my conditioning as well and mobility because you're bending over picking things up lifting them twisting turning so, so that kept me fit and conditioned without even knowing it 
basically, you know, and it helped help me a lot, helped me a lot that. That's incredible because we forget that, right? It's not like you're, yeah. uh, as you said, you've got a life besides the gym. Yeah. And also- but all my, all my records, I mean, yeah, the, the biggest deli I ever did, I was working full time. Um, I never, through all them years, I wasn't not working a physical job. I mean, I worked on the doors for a while in the earlier years, but then up until, you know, when I pulled all the big records, I was working a uh, power tool driver, driving wagons and stuff like That's that. Insane. Yeah. With, with your coaching, before you said volume, just to give it yeah. like an estimate, because I remember like when, when I used to do like Olympic lifting, we used to say this week it's going to be 20 tons, 25 tons next week, the following week 30, 35, 40, 50, yeah. slowly going back. How did you measure volume? What about then? And how did you, um, back then, and how actually you, <clears throat> what you changed now with your athletes and your coaching? Yeah. Well, back then I did, I went by feel. I didn't really have a plan. I did have a plan, but it wasn't, it was more, I'm very good at knowing how I feel and not overtraining that way. I learned that very young. Um, there was one story when I deadlifted. This is what triggered all this off for me. Um, I pulled 385 in the gym for three reps back in, in the early 20s, so 1991 or something. Um, and then I heard there was a guy called Gary Heiser, the biggest editor of all time, pulling 419. And I'd heard Gary just done 385 for two. And I was competing against him at the show coming up. So I thought, if I pull 385 for three, that means I'm stronger than him. Now, I knew nothing about speed, how you pull the bar. I just thought, if I pull more reps than him, I'm, gonna, I'm stronger. So I did. Later finding out that Gary's two reps were comfortable and my three reps, my nose were bleeding. I had nothing else left. With Gary, Gary could have done another three reps probably with his, but I couldn't. Um, so went to the competition. He pulled, he just missed 420 deadlift for the biggest all-time deadlift. And I only pulled 380. I pulled less than I pulled in training for three reps. And I couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't understand why. Um, so I had, I was doing strongman at this point as well in the early, early 20s. So I did a strongman show up in Scotland. And apart from that, I didn't train for five weeks. I did nothing for five weeks. I got a bit fed up and just thought, I don't know. I, I was lost a little bit back then. I didn't know what to do. So I had five weeks of training, did a strongman comp, which we know back involved. Back then, the stones were up to 140 kilos. Oh, wow. So, so there were no big back events. So we back were getting a good rest all this time. Come back to the gym one night. Wasn't going to train. The lads were deadlifting. I thought, I'll join in. I got my belt out of the car and started deadlifting. And I remember putting 60 kilo and we went up in 20 kilo plates. So from 60 to 100 to 140 to 180, um, all felt easy. 220 to 60, 300, all felt easy. 340 moved so easily. I was shocked. And lads were looking, thinking, okay, what's, what's he going to do next? I said, put, put 380 on. And I pulled 380 on and it, it flew. It flew. And my best deadlift at this point was 390. Now, I looked at Brian Reynolds, which is one of the guys who got me into powerlifting, an IPF world champion in 92, 93. Um, and he knew the numbers inside out. He says, I said, well, what do you think I should go next? He goes, 900. I said, what's 900? I had no idea what 900 pounds was. He goes, 410. So I put 410 on it. And you know, you're young. I, I didn't understand where. Just put yeah. it on. Yeah, I just put it on. It didn't matter. It didn't mean not to me. Um, pull 900. I pulled 900. And he goes, what, what's the biggest, what's the biggest set they've ever done? And he goes, 419. Gary Heisey. I said, put 425 on. And he goes, what, why not 420? No, I don't want to break it. I want to smash it. So 425, and I pulled 425 up to above my knees within a few inches of lockout. 
in my early 20s. And it was like, that has just completely come from nowhere. But I'd had five weeks of training. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, okay, so deadlift, it's less, works more for me. Maybe because I'm a lot more explosive than most people coming from the sprinting background. And background the shows that your muscles yeah, are yeah, yeah, yeah. fast. Yeah, I mean, if you're not that fast, I don't think you can do that big of a jump. You train a little bit hard, a little bit closer to maxes, where I can get away with training a lot lighter. Um, so that, that was that light bulb moment. And from then on, I started putting 400, 410, and it just started to go up and up and up. Um, but then I went to Strongman, so it sort of put a pause, hold to that. Um, and then it picked up again in, in 2000 and onwards. <laughs> it's interesting saying that because, you know, when I was talking to Bill Kazmaier, uh, uh, I was reading what Ed Cohen was saying that less is more, especially on the deadlift. And so about working around the muscles, actually, that can help you to do that deadlift and being, you know, that yeah. kind of explosiveness to yeah, yeah. go yeah. as fast as you can. Yeah. And, were your mentors, was your biofeedback, was it, how, how did you actually see that coming and have feeling that that's how the way you need to lift? What do you mean, the, the, the speed and the, well, since that day, that's the way, what I'd, what I'd do then, I'd, I'd try, I'd just try things. So I'd go to a competition and I'd pull 30, 40 kilos less than what I used to do. Into the, into the comp and see what, what I hit at the, at the comp. If the comp went well, rather than... Because what, what a lot of people do when they're young is, if they, they train at a certain number. Say if they're pulling 300 kilos in the gym, then they go to a comp and they pull 330. They think, right, if I go 310 in training, I'll pull 340. But my mentality was, let's go 290 in training. Let's go back, make it easier but faster. Move better, and then, yeah. Then, yeah, and then my jump would go higher. And there and the comes, there's a sweet spot, obviously. It's not going to keep on going like that. Depends on how explosive you are. But I, I figured that out, that going less. And this is something Jamie Reeves always told me um, in my early 20s. If, you, if you're going to training and, and going to competitions under-trained, that little bit fresher than anybody else, when that weight gets hard and you have to dig in, you're going to be able to dig in because your body's not going to be tired from all that previous loads. He said, and you're going to pull more than the guy who's next to you who's overtrained for six weeks. He said, it's, it's, you'll see them lifters. The pull, it gets hard, the stop, boom, gone. When I pull, I'm pulling, it gets slows down, it slows down, I keep on pulling, I keep on pulling, keeps on moving, keeps on moving to lock out. That freshness, that, that's all that is. I'm not killing myself in training. Um, but as far as measuring it, I used to go just go by feel. Honestly, in the early years, because I didn't know enough yet, I would get little bits of information like this from not doing something for five weeks, then pulling that big one, then transferring that to the competition day. But also then in a competition day, I used to squat first and I was just a bench afterwards. So it, was, it took me years to figure it out, you know, how, to, how it fixed everything else on my other lifts. And then I, I applied the same sort of mentality to my squats. Um, but then my squats, I found it, I needed to handle more weight on your back on a squat. Um, a deadlift, it's just laid on the floor. You're walking up to that bar. There was nothing telling me that's heavy apart from my head. So I thought, if, if I'm less, if I'm doing less and I'm fresh, and I know my legs are strong, back strong, hamstrings are strong, then I know that bar's going to move. It's just my head telling me it's heavy. Where with a squat, when you, if you're not training heavy 
not heavy, but if you're not going within a range of that comp weight and then you pick that weight up on the day, your initial reaction is, shit, this is heavy. Yeah. Where where if you've trained with deadlifts, you don't get that because it, it's laid on the ground. It's just your mind telling you that before you walk to it. So it's completely different different lifts than two. And it's also different, it's different, you know, lifting in the gym and lifting with all those people around you, right? Yeah, yeah. That's something as well that people need to uh, take in consideration because you need to be in that kind of mentality. Of course, you're in the zone, yeah. but it's a different environment. And we, we were lucky because we had um, six to eight of the best lifters in the country and some of the best lifters in the world um, training with me in the team. So we all trained together all the time. So it wasn't just me in the gym with two of us. It were like a six to eight lads all the time. Absolutely. And and 90% and of them guys were, were competing at a level, British, European, world level. I mean, Brian went to World Games, IPF champion, Sam a European champion, Dave European, one of the best lifters in the world at his 82 kilo class. We had six British champions in our club at one time. Wow. You know, and four of us were travelling abroad, competing internationally. And, and these are guys you train with day in, day out. So if you're making a mistake or you're slacking, they're quick to pick it up. Where today, I don't think lifters get that today. They don't get the team. Because of these commercial gyms I've set up and see, everything's, everybody's going after work, before work, which is nothing wrong with that. But if you want to be one of the strongest men in the world, you need support, you need a team around you, you need honest, honest opinions, not somebody who's just got some amazing and that's amazing, Andy. You don't Whatever want that. the feedback is, F- feedback is a gift, that's what I always say. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You said before about nutrition and <coughs> what was, you know, plays a massive role is... Back then, there was no such word as nutrition. <laughs> it was anything. But we, all, we always covered the base. I, I never counted calories. I never counted protein. I just I had protein every meal. I mean, I wasn't lacking in protein. The amount of eggs, a twelve egg omelets and stuff, and steak and chicken and cheese. And, um, but I'd eat a lot of junk food. You see, back then, nutrition wanters with powerlifters who I were around and, and world level, they're just big men. If you looked at them back then, they're just oh, big, yeah. big men. Yeah, there wasn't like today the condition they are today. Same with strongmen back then. Look at the strong men back then. They were a lot bigger, a lot a bit out of shape. Um, just strong men. But now the strong men look like athletes. They actually, yep. They've transformed now. They're different, different animals now. So it wasn't that we were just fat and out of shape. That's what everybody were like back then. We didn't know any different. I mean, people like Kazmaier come along in the 80s, you know, and it looked like he looked. But I think that's just a genetic thing as well. I mean, Bill would have been looked like that no matter what he'd have eaten. Yeah. You just start. It's, it's genetic. I competed against a guy called Curtis Leslie. Um, most muscular guy I've ever seen. He'd come on that stage with 1992 World Championships and all muscles popping out everywhere. You know, I mean, just crazy. But that's just genetic. And you had me outside of him, with a pot, <laughs> a pot belly, you know, but lifting so much more than all these guys. So it doesn't matter what you look like back then. Um, matter what but as far as yeah, yeah, but as far as health and and for performance, if I'd have known back then that I know now about diet, my diet would have been better. It would have been better. The only reason why it wasn't because I didn't know any different. Yeah, I didn't, well, I didn't we, we didn't have the, inform- the information back then. It's not like it's no. now. It's all like Flex Magazine, and uh, yeah, that was yeah. it. Yeah, say it was magazine. Yeah, there was nothing online really like it is now. Just read it in magazines and, and, and the and the rules with facts back then, 
One minute fats were good, then they were bad. You know, too much protein. We didn't know. We didn't know what to do when we were younger. We just just had food. What would you change then? If you went back and you found uh, the uh, the young Andy, what would would change? My With diet the you know changed. now. Yeah, my diet had changed definitely. My training, no, my training were bang on. My, my training, were, I, think, I said that a few times. I don't think my training. Were, there was nothing wrong with my training. It was perfect. Um, I would have increased the cardio a little bit, and I moved a little bit more. You know, um, everyday walking. Um, kept the cardio twice a week. I think that that worked for the intense cardio. Um, but it's mainly the diet, to be honest. I wouldn't have eaten so much junk food, chocolate, sweets, takeaways. I just drink beer on a weekend. You know, we're just enjoying his life and lifting big with his friends, and it just happened to turn into being being powerlifters. Because yeah. it's what you just said, like if you if you see pictures from like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, yeah. they were massive. Mass, the same thing with rugby, right? Yeah, from yeah. 2000, 2005 onwards, you see like from that, they're starting to become yeah. leaner as it went. And you see like people yeah. 85, 80 kilos lifting like triple, 3.5 oh. times their weight. It's crazy now, yeah, yeah. And, and back then, you had one or two people like that, you know, stood out. But now, like you say, there's a lot of lighter guys now doing some crazy weights now. I mean, I mean, the deadlift world record in Strongman. I think they're doing well over 410 at 90 kilo, are they? 105s now. It's just ridiculous what they're doing. Yeah. The amazing world of pads. Of? Pads. Performance enhancing drugs. All right, okay. If you don't mind having a chat about that. No. Well, back then, my my very first time, so I competed in 1990 when I first started powerlifting at Yorkshire Champions, IPF. Drug free, drug free, didn't take anything, didn't know anything, didn't know anybody who could get anything. I'd just joined gym, coming from rugby, nothing was talked about. I had no idea. Um, my background, my mum and dad, dad were a bus driver, mum looked after kids. So I, wanted, I wasn't around anybody who knew about that. Uh, went to gym, trained, competed IPF, did okay, first show. Then I started to talk in the gym and find out about this so what I decided is I want to do this but what I didn't what I wasn't comfortable with is doing that and competing drug free mm-hmm. so what I did I wrote a letter to IPF Ball about that it was British Weightlifting Association saying I want to resign from the Federation I'm joining the WPC which was a non-drug tested thing so I, I never competed by using anything. But I did get tested. I got banned in the end because what happened was I, I said to them, I'm not lifting with you anymore. I'm resigning. I'm going to move over to the WPC. So I moved over, started taking Dynaball, about five Dynaball, and one shot of Parabol on a week. That's all I took. And then a few weeks later, a drug tester turns up. Even though I'd resigned and I'd, I'd, not, lift, I'd not used anything while I lifted with them, but I didn't know You've got to be available for drug tests six months after. Wow. Up to six months after you've resigned, I think, back then. I'm not, I'm not sure the rules. Anyway, it, it come to the, the house, but I wasn't in. I wasn't there. Um, I didn't have a phone. So I got I come up on the banned list, banned for not taking a drug test. So I never, t- I never failed a drug test. I got banned for not taking a drug test. But I didn't know until I got a letter weeks later because it couldn't get in touch with me. I'd resigned from the Federation. I didn't know we're going to be drug tested because I'd moved over by this point anyway. 
Um, so that's how I started with um, five Dynaball, a shot of Parabolon that the gym owner used to do for me. Um, and off the back of that, I remember going to a competition and pulling 389 kilos. And it were a junior... One two five open world record, junior world record, and open world record at the time in the one two fives. Wow! And and then back then, I mean, the lifters back then there were some crazy lifters back then in the early nineties. They were saying, "Andy, take this, take that." And I remember for the worlds in France in ninety three, I was I was twenty three. Um, I was taking three shots of Winstrel a day, propionate every day for ten days. I can't remember what test I was taking, but just doing everything blind. I had no idea about what to take, how to take it, getting stronger. But the notice that I caught me, eyes were going a bit yellow, jaundice. So they said, you need to be careful. And whatever you're doing, you need to cut it down. So after that, I went to Strongman then. So I tapered everything down for Strongman. Because Jamie told me that to be a Strongman, you need to be able to move and run. And if you're taking that much gear, you can't move around. You're not going to be healthy. You're not going to be cardio fit. So I cut things down a lot then. And I still stayed strong. And it wasn't until 1999 when I did that strongman show and I tore my bicep uh, that I met Brian Batchelder. And Brian was the man who got hold of me and asked me if I'd work, if he wanted to work with him. Because back then he was promoting the powerlifting and his wife, Vanessa, promoting the powerlifting. Yeah. And they sort of took me under the wing um, and he told me, I told him what I was taking and he just shook his head. <laughs> I said, you're not going to last me. You're not going to last five years, mate. And and people think, Brian, you know, he was like a genius. He was a genius. He had me coming off for the first time. I was coming off. I was doing very little off season, four week on, three week off. And I, it only, I only took over 2,000 milligrams of test for six weeks once a year before the Arnold Classics for the biggest show of the year. The rest of the time, it were very minimum doses, four week on, two or three week off, four week on. So maintaining a level, but always coming off for that three weeks that your body settled down. And back then, my bloods were really good. Everything was great. There were no problems. And, and then Brian when you went on, a wizard, right? Yeah, it was. And then when you went on the higher doses, I mean, the trembolones and stuff like that. Kids today are using that all year round, stuff like that. I use a tiny amount. And when I'm talking a tiny amount, I'm talking 50 to 100 milligrams three times a week. And that's only for six weeks, once a year before the Arnold Classic. Any sort of orals, Oxy, we used Oxy, um, but only for three, 30 days out from a competition once a year. Okay. So I'd start on three, three a day for 10 days, then two a day. So we'd go down, not up. Because Brian would say, you're going to put the highest dose in first. Then as your body's getting toxic, you come down, you come down. And then that way, I used to feel so strong on competition day and not feel, you know, like deaf. And, and something else Brian taught me, he said, if you're, if you're in a performance sport like this, you cannot feel rough and ill from the drugs. You can't put a bodybuilder. How are you going to perform? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Bodybuilders on stage. I mean, we've known, I've known Ian Harrison, Ian Harrison, Jeff, Billy Payne, all these guys, all good bodybuilders. I mean, Ian were a great bodybuilder, got to Olympia. But I remember Ian um, doing some cardio with Jeff and his, his guardian, like a stepper, stair climber. And Ian looked amazing. He was, he was getting ready for one of the big shows. And I remember going up to Jeff's to see him and walking around the corner. And Ian must have been on this stairmaster for five, ten minutes. He, he, he couldn't breathe. He could not breathe. 
And I thought, this guy, to look at him, looks amazing. But he was struggling to do five, ten minutes on a, on a cardio. So it just opened my eyes a little bit, you know, where you get a, a guy who looks a little bit fatter, not half the amount of muscle, you could go for hours. I thought, I just thought, okay. So, so that's what um, Brian taught me, you know. You go into a comp, feeling good, start high, taper down. Um, and something else Brian did, drugs, it were. So we'd sat on 2,000 milligrams of tests. It was seven weeks out because we'd always fly to America one week out. So we're only on it for six weeks. Um, it'd start on 2,000, but after three weeks, it'd half it to 1,000. So you'd peak up, then you'd drop it by half. So you're not getting the side effects. But then when you half that, then you're putting in Trembolone and you're putting in the oxys for the last Synergy, 30, yeah. 40 days. Yeah. So I always went to competitions feeling great, feeling strong. And then lads would leave my gym on a Tuesday with me. I'd go to America a couple of days. They'd fly over later. They'd walk into the room where I was sitting, having a drink or some food. They'd look at me and they'd say, wow, you put like 10, 14 pounds on in three days. You just look like huge. And that's because the gear started high, come low, my appetite come back. Then I could I was just fueling up, eating the food went in. Where in the early years I would go into shows not eating all day because I felt sick, felt so toxic. So that's something Brian really did help me with a lot. And also Brian was always there for the training side of it, you know. Um if, if he had any sticking points in training, I'd call him and he would discuss it. I never had a coach as such. I had nobody writing my training plans out, nothing like because that. Because I wanted I to ask t- you about that, yeah. Yeah, no, I never did. Um, I had Dave B. I'd talk to, my team in Leeds who I trained with, knew me all them years. Brian Batchelor, we'd, we'd run over ideas. Why don't we try this, try that? Why don't you just try doing that? So nobody saying, Andy, you're going to do this, this and this. Because I was very good at feeling how things were doing. And I'd, I'm not good at taking, um, I don't want to be being told everything that I need to do. Because I like to go off track a little bit sometimes. But Yeah, if you feel I'm like not, it, as you said before. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you do. But I'm, I wasn't doing it to a point where I was overtraining because I, I wasn't that, that lifter. I'd do less than more. Um, but yeah, so it was team. And, and on the training DVD we did, Brian said, it's team, it's team Bolton. You know what I mean? No man is an island. It's, it's a team around me. And back then I had a great team around me in, in every, every way, every corner. Any problems I could call anybody. Brian could get me anything I wanted, you know, I needed. Um, we tried all sorts. I mean, I, and well, them off-season years, when I was doing four week on, three week off, what we'd do on the three weeks off, three weeks off anything, we'd start, we'd do some creatine, we'd do HCG, and I can't remember something else we did. I can't remember what else we did. But it, it was something that kept your levels up. You didn't slump, but it kept you strong. And you went back on again, and my bloods were always good. Blood pressure wasn't really bad back then. It was when I was lifting. Obviously, when you're lifting max weights, it goes up. But in general, I was really healthy. Uh, as healthy as you can be, somebody that big, and that's doing what you're doing. But we had that, chat, yeah. that chat in uh, Britain of like a few months ago. You said, yeah. uh, I did a mistake. I thought if I take more at some point, that was yeah. like had a toll. Because, you know, you, you said it's about... Uh, understanding that I'm getting older. Yeah, yeah. And well, how, cr- happened. I, yeah, I how kept critical was that long. for you? I kept going too long in the end. 
Because what happens is, in the early years, I mean, before I met Brian, I, I'd, I'd, take, I'd taken, what, seven, seven oxes a day. Um, I would have stuck in anything because I didn't know. Then when I got with Brian, it all changed. And that's when, we, but if you notice, if you look at the timeline, when my lifts got big is when I worked with Brian. And when I was the strongest and I was coming after shows, I'd have a proper break, come off everything for eight weeks, let my body settle down. I wanted to rush to get back to the gym. I'd have four weeks of training sometimes. I'd be like, oh, you get back. No, you don't. I said, you don't need to get back. It, strength like that doesn't disappear in four weeks. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm only peaking once or twice a year at this point. Uh, so what, what the question again? Oh, the, yeah, I kept it going too long. So what happened then is, as I got older, um, when did my kidneys went? My kidneys went. So at, 40, at 39, I peaked on my deadlift. I pulled 1,008. At 44, I peaked on my bench press. I benched 350 kilos, 0.5. But biggest bench in Britain, which were a life, a life dream. I never thought I'd bench over 600 pounds. Because um, I wasn't known as a bench. I had long arms and I worked hard for that. And if you if you look, it took six years, five, six years longer to peak than my squat and deadlifted. Patience. Uh, yeah, you did. I patient. Yeah, I, I knew I had it in me and I failed it three, four, five times. Eventually, I got it at the body power in 2014. And at that point, I was struggling now because I couldn't walk 50 yards without being out of breath. And I, 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 would, I went to a seminar in London. And I remember getting off the train with my friend Chris and I couldn't walk to the tube. I had to stop three or four times with back pumps or out of breath. I couldn't hold a conversation without being out of breath. I was struggling. Um, I, I was ready to retire. I read it a call it a day. I'd had enough. And then Darren called me. <laughs> Darren, Darren called me. That's Darren's fault, this. Darren calls me and says, me and Colin have been talking. We're going to put on a deadlift, cha- a deadlift world deadlift championships. The best powerlifter is the best strongman. Are you up for it? And I said, yeah. I'm not going to say no. But by this point, I was 44 years old, you know. I will pass my best. I knew that. Um, but I thought to be around these guys I'm, I'm a strongman fan and a powerlifting fan and Eddie Hall were coming up half hour there at this point Sejunas weren't there that year he'd won it previous year so I don't think he were there that year he said Brian Shaw were coming over Benedict were there all the good lifters were there Misha Kikliad everybody were there so I thought just to be around these guys and meet them because I'd met a lot of these guys I've watched them then I've become friends with them all you know we met um, I had a, had a fun time that year I, I didn't pull I don't think I pulled anything because my strap come off. I didn't know. How, I didn't know how to put the straps on because I was powerlifter. I never trained with straps, so I put it on the wrong way around. As I pulled, it just come off the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 2015, I went back again. But at this point, I was starting to feel ill training. I was getting sick on the morning, funny taste in my mouth, um, taking the drugs, more drugs. But the reality is, I was just getting older. I was getting older. No amount of drugs is going to get you back to that when you're in your 30s to your 40s. It's not going to happen. Um, taking more. And I remember Dave Beatty come to my room um, 2015. We're getting ready to lift. And I had my top off. He always just come to America with me. We always shared a room. He'd look at me before the Arnold's and go, oh, my God, Andy, you're fucking so big and full with chest. You're looking ready. And then he said, he'd come to my room in Leeds in 2014. He looked at me and he said, Andy, what weight are you? Because I'm 158. He said, you know what? You're, you're the same weight as what you were back then. But now you must be 25% fatter. You're not carrying the muscle you was then. And I knew it. I knew it. And I would try to force it. Anyway, I went there and I pulled 420. 
Um, it just felt hard. It just felt I wasn't I wasn't right, and I didn't I wasn't feeling well. And I'd made a consultant meeting um, with me with my doctor, and I'd gone down to a kidney specialist. I didn't know what a kidney ward I was going to, and I'm sat in there in 2015, feeling a bit ill. And then I went there in the morning at nine ten o'clock, and then all day went by. Six o'clock at evening, everybody's gone. There's nobody left, just receptionist. And I'm thinking, they've missed me here. Anyway, doctor comes out. He said, sorry we're taking so long. We're trying to get you a bed. And I'm like, a bed for what? He goes, you need to be admitted. Your kidneys have failed. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, they're working at 3%. He said, you need to pull on dialysis straight away. Otherwise, you could die. You know what I mean? Your kidneys are not working at all. That was a shock. What, what it was, was your very, first thought at the point? I don't know. See, I'm, I wasn't, I'm not very emotional like that, stuff like that. I'm pretty good. And I just sat there. And I don't, I don't know what I thought. I was shocked. Dialysis. I didn't even know what dialysis was. I mean, you don't know much about your kidneys when you... You don't know. I know everything about kidneys now. I'm an expert in them now. <laughs> but I'm thinking, kidney, kidneys, dialysis, what's that? You put, you put a line in here, comes down, out, and that's where you get your cleans your blood on the machine. I remember that first night in hospital, he's put this line and that that hurt. It hurt. You're awake, you're putting it in, numbing it, you can feel them tugging and tugging. Next day, I'm in my bed, I'm in pain. My wife comes to see me, my daughter. I'm sat there. My daughter didn't like it. She was about two and what were it, 14. She was only young. She was young. She was six, seven years old. She started crying. So I've got these lines out of my neck. Um, she didn't like it. And then Dr. Dr. Mooney, my first consultant, said to me, you need to you're looking at a transplant. And I thought, a kidney transplant, wow. And then it hit me. He's talking about what I need to do, what's gonna happen now. And I'm like, I was in shock. And it, Dr. Mooney actually told me, he said, You can still train. He said, You can still train. It's not when we're training. He said, um, what are you lifting now though, Andy? He says, I'm not gonna guarantee you can lift that again, but there's nothing wrong with trying and staying fit and, and pulling that sled. Because I just had a pile of sled up with 100 kilos, plus my daughter sitting on top and drag that. He said, I don't think you'd be dragging that, <laughs> but you might be able to do a couple of kilos on it. But he, he didn't want me to give up. Honestly, Dr. Mooney was the best best consultant I've had. He never once discouraged me, said, stop training. Well, some of them were saying, no, you need to stop this and start cycling and just go completely away from what we're doing, what I knew all my life. But Dr. Mooney was the only one who, who stuck by me and helped me through it. Um, so, yeah, that's how it all started. That was the, the start of the your kidneys and then going on dialysis, going to the hospital, going on dialysis three times a week. But you know what? I turned, I had a conversation with my friends at the gym, and he said, I was a bit down at the beginning because it's, it's getting used to something new. But oh, I've, yeah. always been good to, I've always been good to adapt, you see. I've always been pretty good to adapt. Um, I don't let it sort of phase me too much. Um, and my mate said, you know, with all that effort and all that mindset you had, you pulled a thousand pounds. He says, turn that to this so what I did I said to my wife I'm, I'm going to work when you go to work I'm seeing it as a part time job so I went Monday Wednesday Friday I left the house at 7 got like about one half past 1 I saw it as a part time job after work sandwich bag on my shoulder my food went to work and I'll do this as long as I need to do until I get a transplant Great and that's the way I approached that's the way I approached it like a job just part of my training. Then I'd come home from there, half past one, go to bed for two hours, get up, eat, go to the gym. Kept on training all the way through. Never stopped. Never stopped. 
didn't know how strong I was going to be. Um, it turns out I was quite strong for the first two years. I mean, I deadlifted 382 in 2017 after being on dialysis for two years. So I still had some power. Um, so, yeah, I think what caused this, though, is um, I'm, I don't know if we talked about it when I met you at the British. I'm very addicted. Yeah. If I hadn't got, if I hadn't got into lifting, I could have been a drug addict, alcoholic. Not alcoholic, because I wanted, I like to drink, but I didn't love drinking. It was more the drugs, the partying. And what I did is, even even from my early 20s, I was going out, taking a bit of speed, amphetamine. Um, I remember when I pulled 389, that deadlift world record I told you about in my junior, in my junior, old junior. Um, two nights before that, I were out on speed. And I didn't go to bed all night. Then the night, the day after, the Saturday before the show, I went to bed and slept all day. Had a bit of food, and the day after that, I pulled the world record. Pulled the world record. I remember coming home two nights before, being sick in the flowers downstairs in the house, being sick everywhere, just just cramping everywhere. And then so you dehydrated. And I pulled three eighty nine two days later. Yeah. But, be, be, but because I got away with it, I thought it was okay. But I've always been very addictive. So if it hasn't been for lifting, I've gone a different route. I think. Um, so what I used to do. There were time on my biggest, strongest lifts when I could get myself, I could not party at all. 12 weeks, 14, I were okay. Then I started falling into a habit of partying after competitions. But I mean, we party, you'd be talking two or three weeks at a time. Not not, not going home, but every night I'd be drinking up till five, six in the morning. My wife said, what are you doing? I just need, I just need to release. I, just, I won't go out. I'm just sitting at home doing it. You know what I mean? It was just it was your it was way mean. of actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was my way of releasing. I wasn't. I didn't want to be around people. Just did it. Sometimes we did, um, but not often. It was just me, my way of releasing, and all that pressure building up to the show like that. So I put pressure on myself. I wanted to perform at a top level. So afterwards, that's the way I released it, and and that that was for all my years. It happened all the way through. Sometimes more than others. Other times. I wouldn't do it. And you see me big, big lifts. Sometimes performances that I had were under par. It's because I've been partying a week before. Um, it happened a lot, you know, it happened a lot. People don't know a lot. Well, I don't, my friends knew about it. And some of the guys at gym had always said, that's handy though. You just need to let him do what he does. When he comes back, he'll be focused. And I was focused again. But then as I got older, it become more, less less rest between these times partying you know what I mean because what, what I struggled with then is as I got older into my 40s and you know now your strength's not what it was you're starting to decline now the only way I could have that feeling again of reliving that them competitions were getting high then I could sit there talking to my friends or in my head I'm reliving them night them days in America again all them people screaming and watching videos and in your head, you think, I can get back there again. I can get back there again. But reality, you can't get back there again. So so this is what caused the kidneys. Because it all taking uppers, things to sleep, things to kill the pain, Voltaron injections in my shoulder to numb the pain, which ultimately dries out your... It takes all the water around your organs and puts it where it needs it. Um, high blood pressure for years. And it, it was just everything. It wasn't one thing. It wasn't even so much the steroids that did it. It was a partying for me. I mean, me and my wife, I mean, my wife knows everything back now. She knows that. Back then, she didn't know about all the partying. I was keeping it quiet. 
Um, but she knows everything now. We, we can laugh and joke about it now. I'm, I'm completely... Now I'm like the opposite. I'm completely... Don't drink. Don't do anything now. Everything's completely different now. Um, but that's what caused it, if I'm honest. And it, I think it comes hand in hand. A lot of these powerlifters, I know for a fact, a lot of top guys, I'm not going to say anybody, but that they've all got the little de the demons. You see them competing, but there's always got to be a release for these guys. How the release is different for different lifters. Some lifters don't, some lifters do. The party, the drink, you know. What, what would be your advice? Because it was, I think that that job with the dialysis and the things with the yeah. kidneys was a massive slap in the face of yeah. facing reality. And I'm, I'm, I always say that when you're vulnerable and you're actually speaking to me about that and with everybody yeah. listening, that makes you even greater because your yeah. weights don't define you, right? You did it. Yeah. You yeah. were there. You, yeah. you, you're still one of the greats. Um, yeah. And now you're one of the great coaches because actually speaking about that, man, that's that's strong. Yeah. yeah it happened. You know, if, yeah, what you've done, you've done, and that can never be taken away. Kind yeah. of achievements. I mean, I, I honestly think sometimes if I wasn't, wasn't that addictive, would I have done more in lifting? But then my friends say to me, no, you wouldn't because the way you was made, when you was focused on something, you would give it everything. And, and Brian Reynolds won IPF Worlds in 92, 93. He said to me, the difference between me and you, Andy, is I were good. I were a good lifter. I won the World Championships. You were a great lifter. You were one of the best ever. The difference between me and you, your mentality was different to mine. You would do anything to win. Anything. But I wouldn't. He said, I were happy with my what I did. But you were a different animal, he says. You were comp you'd, you'd, you'd die trying to do something. And that's the difference between the elite and the ones who are good. It's pushing them boundaries where you know, you know, something can go wrong with this. Because there's no guarantees. No, on any no. Of this. No guarantees. I mean, if you've got a bit of a heart defect that you don't know about, it will come and up. And you're pushing that level, you can be boom, you're gone. And, and my doctor's told me that. He says, protein powders, all these things are good. They're not going to kill you. If you've got kidneys with a slight defect and you're pushing these proteins onto it, and it's making, especially the fast acting, the whey proteins that go through your kidneys so fast, make them work. I mean, there's no link between high protein diet and kidney failure. But if you've got a defected kidney, GFR then it, will, it, yeah. it, it, it is, yeah, it is going to, and creatine on top of that, and everything else you're doing, your blood pressure, it, it's a ticking time bomb. And that's what they told me. And it, it, happened, it happened to me, you know, but it's, I don't know, it's just one of them things that I don't mind talking about if it can help somebody else now I'm not ashamed of what I did that one little bit it made me I, I'll, I'll sit and talk to anybody about what I did you know if it helps somebody else so I'm keeping the parts of being patient following yep. the boring path for a great yeah what would be your your advice to all those people that are <coughs> now they want to be one of the greats uh yeah what's your advice well this is something we've got in the gym right now so we've got a guy in the gym is um he deadlifts 200 kilos. Mm -hmm. He comes in the other week, he goes, I want to pull 600. And everybody laughed at him. 200 to 600. He's 54 years old. He's like, okay. So initial reaction, I said to him, what's your plan? What's your plan to get there? I want to pull 600. Yeah, but there's got to be a plan. What are you going to work on? What's your weaknesses? There's not saying you can't pull that. And it's the same with everybody else out there. 
But let's set little goals. Let, let's go 500 pounds first. Two, or get to 210. Let's go at 220, 230, 240 and build. Get to the ultimate goal. Then when you get within 20, 15, 20 kilos, like I do with a 1,000 pound deadlift, pulling 440 the Arnold's that year, then you know, right, it's there. Until that point, it's just a dream, but there's nothing wrong with having a dream. That's the ult- That's his ultimate goal. And we all saw our initial reaction. We laughed a little bit, took the piss. But then, but I said to him quietly, you know, there's not something you can't get there, but you need to chip away. And it's the same with everybody today. To be the greatest, I didn't know when I first started lifting, I was going to squat 1,200 pounds and pull 1,000 to eight. I didn't know that. But what I did, competition by competition got better, got better, got better. If you're getting stronger, you're doing something right. So be patient. Get stronger, stronger. When you do get stronger, look at what you're doing. Change a little thing. One little thing. Don't change everything. Change a little thing. So why isn't that deadlift working? Why isn't that bench going up? Is it technical? Am I overtraining? So I always drop back first before I go up, do more, do less. You could be overtrained. Chances are nine out of ten people are overtraining anyway. Yeah. So do less. If that kicks it on again, which for me it did, keep on going with that path until it gets to its stalls again and change again. And it isn't until you get to like, you know, the big numbers and I think, oh, okay, now, now I'm getting com- um, invited to these big competitions now. Now I'm against the best in the world now. Now you know you're up there now. But then there's 10 guys being invited to that show. What makes the top guy the top guy and 10th the 10th place? And it, it's, to me, it's a mindset thing. It's now your training's got to be even more important than little fine details, uh, confidence to me, Training the right way builds confidence by not failing weights in training. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you gain confidence, Andy? By not training to max in the gym. But how do you know you could do that, though? Because comp after comp after comp, I'm not missing weights. When I pulled a 1,000 pound, I deadlifted for five, four or five years and not failed a deadlifting competition. I've never failed a deadlifting training ever in my life. Consistency. Consistency and, and to get to that great point, it's it's genetic. Yeah. It's ultimately it's genetic. If we all train, you could train perfectly. Perfectly. If you haven't got the genetics, you're not going to get so high. Not everybody can be the best in the world at some at a sport. The guys who are are the ones who are that got that little bit extra, you know, genetic ability, just a little bit extra than anybody else. I mean, there could be people below them who do everything right. Remember, um, do you know, do you follow bodybuilding? Yeah, 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 yeah. Back in the 80s, I mean, when I was younger, I followed a lot of bodybuilding. So you remember Rich Kaspari? Of course, versus yeah. Lee H- yeah. Versus, versus Lee Haney. Rich were around same time as Lee Haney. Now, Lee Haney won Olympia seven times. I think Rich never won it. Now, if you watch that battle for gold in 1988, that I watched again and again and again. Rich Kaspari was the hardest trainer. I mean, even Lee Haney said he trains hard. Every detail is covered. Every every grain of rice he was weighing on his scale, he did everything perfectly. He come in with way better condition than Lee Haney. But ultimately, uh, Lee Haney was bigger. Genetically, a bigger man. Now, Rich were never going to win. It doesn't mean he didn't get, build his, his, to his fullest potential he could, but you're not going to be a man who's five inches taller, wider, just genetically, you're not going to be. You can't beat that. No, you can't. You can't beat it. And and Rich trained as hard as Lee, dieted as hard as him. 
And it's same with powerlifting. Not everybody's going to be the greatest, but it doesn't mean you can't be, to me, because you're not the greatest, it doesn't mean you're not great for you. Yeah. You can still be the best you can be. You know what I mean? You don't have to be. I mean, just because you're not up there with the best in the world, I mean, you're not good. I mean, you you fail. It doesn't. You haven't failed. But it's all you know that I mean? you had the 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 mindset when you said you started bodybuilding and you said, "Look, yep. from what I can see, I'm not going to be one of the great." Yeah. And you saw you were really good in powerlifting, and that's why I usually say to people is like, change. You, like if you're pushing it and you're seeing nothing's coming up, because you can be a, a Saint Bernard's if you want to win the grain hound race it's not going to happen you know what no, i mean no, no it's never going to whatever never you do but um people need to actually find a coach to yeah. tell them better and that, that would that's a good segue of me <laughs> what would an athlete expect from coach andy bolton well what they get from me all my athletes is feedback all the time they're getting good feedback Every lift is getting analysed. This needs to change. That needs to change. Be I start everybody light. You've got to be patient. Just give me time, you know. But they're going to get to get the things right. I need to get a feel for the athlete as well, how they work. The ones who have stayed with me longer always do better because, you know, you can train somebody for eight weeks. You not always get the formula right in eight weeks. It isn't enough time. But then... You make mistakes to get better. So what you'll get from me, you won't get a, a cookie-cutter program that's the same for everybody. It's me doing your plan, sat at this desk here, doing everybody's individual plan. You're sending me feedback. I'm criticising lifts. That hips are too high. Drop them hips a bit. Bar closer. You're not bracing hard enough. Every program's given core planks, side planks, bracing, setup. I mean, because... Setup, you know, and technique is everything from yes. a coach. It's hard. It is hard sometimes online like this. Um, and the guys who live close or within two hours drive up and see me. And it's so easy to change things when you're in person with people. You um, but that, I remember, yeah. yeah, but I remember Bill Crawford when I, my bench was struggling. Um, 290, 280, 290. And all the guys in America were saying, Andy, you're a bigger bencher than this. You should be much stronger. Yeah, but I don't understand. What do I need to do? And they're all saying you should be better, but nobody's telling you. So I'm with a few coaches, Ryan Mendel, um, Scott Mendelson, Ryan Kennelly, all back in the day, um, Sean Latimer. And, and these guys are natural benchers. So I don't think they really knew what made them strong. So they found it hard to tell me how to get strong. They were telling me what they do. Now, it works for them. Nothing. Like me telling you how to deadlift, copy my deadlift routine. It won't work for you. And I wouldn't give you my deadlift routine if I were coaching you. Yours would be tailored to you. You'll be doing movements that I don't do, that I don't need, but yeah. you will need. You see, it's completely different. Everybody's different. So I went to a guy called Bill Crawford, uh, Metal Militia, who happened to coach a lot of the West Side lifters as well, I heard, back then, without, without anybody knowing. <laughs> um, so... He, he transformed my bench press. So from benching 290 at a competition in Britain, six months later, going to Ireland and benching 342 kilos. Six months. Just minimal crazy. Yeah. And all he changed were technique things. Set up. Legs. I wasn't using no legs. When I benched 290, I was using no legs. 50 no kilos legs over? Unbelievable. It was crazy. unbelievable. It was unbelievable. 
Um, the feet come back for the first time. I arched. Lats come, you know, shoulders come back rather than overextending my shoulders, um, which led to injuries in early years. I mean, rotator cuff problems. But now there's no shoulder injuries like that. Um, how to set up, squeeze the bar, twist the bar, just, just some little things. It was nothing major. And the training never really changed that much, a little bit. He had me benching in a shirt more, but, but he had me benching in a shirt, touching my chest, where a lot of them top guys had me benching in a shirt to boards. Now, now Bill's idea was, if you compete in bench press and you've got to touch your chest, why are you training bench press to a board? In a shirt because it's not a competition lift, and what you're going to get the good at is you're going to get good at doing half a range, half, half yeah, half a range, yeah, yeah. When you go down to the full range, you're going to stop halfway up again because you've only trained half a range. It's either the top half or the bottom half. So he had to do all my benching in his shirt uh, to touch, to touch my chest. But then all my raw work, the close rip board work, would be all raw, working purely tricep power, but no shirt, no assistance, and and that's the way I got from 290 and eventually up to 350. Wow. Um, I mean, I benched 320 kilos for three reps, full touching every chest, everyone. It sounds um, terrible because it, people don't, I, I see that all the time when people, uh, I would say is movement technique is number one. And yeah. for mastery, you need about 10,000 hours of good quality movement. We know that. So yeah. if you, if you go into the gym or if you like every deadlift, you need to be a hundred percent. And yeah. it's really interesting. One of my coaches, uh, coach Yakovu, like, uh, he's one of the greatest <coughs> Olympic lifting. He okay. drew a, uh, he drew a circle and, and cause he always said you need three good reps and then stop. You don't need more. And yeah. I said, what do you mean? He's like, so he drew a circle and then he's like, your first rep goes into the center. Yeah. Then if you go away and you go again towards the center, It's going to be a bit close, close to the center, but it might be a bit out. Every time you do that, yeah. it goes further and further away. Yeah. So do less, maximum effort, whatever that is for the day. Yeah. Be precise in everything. Yeah. Lock everything in. It's right. It's right. Yeah. And you see people warming up, they're warming up and they're just sloppy talking to the friend. We've seen me warm up in any videos. Everything's in the same way all the way through. Oh, it, it's... Because it's light and it's a warm-up, I see it as technique practice. It's fine-tuning. Pavel worked with Pavel. It's greasing the groove. It's just doing it again and again. And that's what I do with all my clients. Pavel. They'll work up to, a, they'll, they'll work up to a, a moderately heavy set because they need to feel heavyweight as well. I don't want to, you know, just speak. not about speed. They've got to feel heavy work. But then I'll do a lot of downsets. Not so much speed at the beginning, but drilling technique. And not only when that technique's drilled, then will increase and then the volume will come down. Because at the beginning, a lot of volume, because the weights are heavy. But when they get it mastered, they could do less. And depending on how powerful a pull they are, how explosive lifter, then we can fine-tune it for their needs. Where a lot of the women tend to need more volume. They can, clo they can train close to the maxes and still recover. Where the bigger men can't do no. that. The smaller men can do it better. They can recover faster. So it depends on the athlete. And are they drug-free? Are they not drug-free? Have they got a full-time job? Are they working 14 hours a week on, on a, a scaffolder, builder? Or are they sitting behind a desk? It all plays a part on the volume you give them, you know? But it's, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, like you said before, it's boring and repetitive again and again and again. But that's the secret. That's the formula. Andy, th thank you so much for your time. Um, 
So looking forward to seeing you in a, in a few weeks in person. Um, people can find you in uh, your, uh, well, put your web, web website and your uh, contact details. Well, I, don't, I don't have the website anymore because it's, it's, not, it's not really being used, to be honest. Okay. Um, you, you can get me on um, any social media, Andy Bolton, 1003 on Instagram, um, just Andy Bolton, powerlifter on, on um, Facebook. I mean, I'm not hard to find. Oh, I know that. I'm going to put all the <laughs> all the, 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 the info underneath the feed as well. And yeah. um, I'm so looking forward to seeing you in person in a few weeks. Yeah, be good. Be good show. Like, be good show. Thank you. Thank you.